Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent, and welcome to Success Calls. This month's top agent is Scott Cotto with Keller Williams in Long Beach, California. Welcome to the call, Scott. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, Scott, it's great to have you here. Excited to talk to you and learn about your business. But before we do, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Wow. So in real estate, uh, before real estate, I was a uh, operations manager for a big retail franchise uh, music store. Um, so my last job with them was with Sam Ash Music. I ran operations for the tri-state area uh, based out of Manhattan, New York, our corporate headquarters was in Long Island. Um, and uh, basically, I oversaw inventory control for, at that time, was 38, uh, 38 uh, stores nationwide. Wow. So you, you must have been very familiar with and worked a lot of systems. Actually, yeah. True. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And uh, what made you decide to get out of that and into real estate? Uh, you know, a buddy of mine actually... Uh, my father had sent me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, read that book and uh, contacted my best friend in California. I was in New York at the time. And we, and, uh, we started talking and said, we got to flip homes. So he flew me out to California because I knew Long Beach. I'm from Southern California originally. Um, and I knew at some point I was coming back to SoCal. And so we had met with a couple uh, larger entities that were running down at the trustee sales, buying properties, all cash. And uh, we had met with them and we quickly realized that you need to have a big bankroll and they don't finance trustee <laughs> sales. And so we kind of went back. I flew back to California a little depressed and he went back to his nine to five job and we said, hey, I'm going to get my real estate license. Let's continue this conversation. You get your general contractor's license. And uh, we'll reconnect. And then fast forward, you know, after getting in the business, about nine years later, we launched uh, an investment group and raised up to $8 million in flipping homes at the trustee sales. Wow. We could probably get into more details on that later. but And that's kind of progressing how I got into real estate. Well, I want to get into that now. I want, you know, everybody has a different glide path and a, a, a way in. And yours is very interesting and a, a bit unique. So, uh, you wanted to get into these trustee sales, uh, want to buy some foreclosure properties and um, get them a, a bargain and fix them up. And you all decided you were going to have one person do the license and one person get the general contractor. Did you say you were the one getting the license? The real estate license, correct. Okay. And did you do that right away? Because you said you went back. How long before you, you guys got back together and actually implemented this? Plan? Yeah. Actually, it was within 12 months. So I started my principal course online while I was in New York. And I remember vividly the day was about August 19th, 2001, when I moved back. I'm sorry, 2002 uh, is when I moved back. And my test date was lined up for the second week of September. Passed it on my first time, which, uh, you know, tests are a challenge for me. But I think when you want something, you know, you work towards it. And that was my first test actually going through and uh, prospering. Um, and then January 1st is when 2003 is when I hit the ground running, aligned myself with Century 21 with the training, 
quickly transitioned over to Coldwell Banker because like most agents, I wanted to sell multi-million dollar homes. And as you drive up the coast of California on the 101, it's Coldwell Banker, Coldwell Banker, Coldwell Banker. And I said, I got to align myself with Coldwell Banker. Uh, my first year in the business was in 2003. And I sold about 14 homes and uh, just over about 135000 in GCI in my first year. Wow, that's, that's great. That was a nice start. Uh, were you also working the investment side that first year? No, not at all. It was traditional open houses, uh, sphere of influence. Once I realized how to touch my database um, and start succeeding through others. Um, but I, was, I would say it was more of the shotgun approach. I did it all and, or tried everything, I should say. Um, and I just gravitated towards open houses. I felt that people were coming to me to see the home. Therefore, I had the right to ask them questions where cold calling or door knocking wasn't my cup of tea. Actually, I've never door knocked one door in my career and I've never made a cold call in my career. It's always been lead follow-up. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. So you're okay once you get the lead and you know who they are. You have no problem calling them and following up. It was just that, which, where, how was the initial contact going to happen? Were you going to go after them or were they going to come to you? What well, was generally um, every weekend, in fact, I started out doing weekend open houses and I quickly transitioned to seven days a week. I would basically borrow somebody's signs, stick them in the ground, their listings, marketing their name in the neighborhood, not me. And I was seven days a week and everything that I would do in the office, I just did it at an open house. You know, the, the little things of setting up your email signature, kind of back then we were very hands-on with the website and we had to do all the back end and put all the data. It wasn't IDX. It wasn't just pulling from all these different portals. We had to manually upload pictures and resize them. And, you know, just to get a listing on your website could take you hours. And that's what I would do at my open houses. I would promote other people's open houses and I'd create my own postcards. So, so you turn the open house into your office. Absolutely. Yep. And now how many hours a day were you there? Um, at least six hours. It depended on the open house. I mean, I, I can remember back then that I would select vacant homes at the time so I could come and go as I pleased. Some of them were owner occupied, but I wouldn't necessarily hang my hat in there every day. It was really when I would find the vacant one and the agent would say, yeah, have at it. And I would Great. Just, so you just asked other agents in your office if you could hold it open. I, you probably used the promotion you just did with us that you're going to promote them by using their signage and directional arrows and they're going to get their name out in the public. They can tell their seller you're doing something. And, and it was a win-win. Yep, absolutely. Uh, very nice. Uh, and then did, how were you getting people in? It sounds like signage was the key for you to get somebody to come by your open house. Um, that's all it was, actually. It was just signage. I wouldn't fly or drop or door knock because they weren't necessarily my listing. So I just didn't have the resources. And as a new agent, I didn't have the financial output to go and market it in other ways that we might do today. 
Now, you, I, I want to clarify something for people. You said that you and your buddy did eventually get together and create an investment company and $8 million in assets and the like. It sounds like that happened later. How many years had you had your license before that occurred? You know, I was uh, up and running in 2003, January, and uh, we didn't start Van Gold Development until 2009. Okay. Very good. So you, you had your feet wet for about six years in real estate before that came about. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify right. for people, you didn't have 8 million bucks when you started. You know, no, you not at all. Not at all. That's correct. I just started traditional buy and sell, helping friends and family, prospecting for new business. Um, fast forward, maybe in uh, 2006, I did acquire um, my first asset that I did flip on my own. Um, you know, made 125,000 in six months. Um, and then that's kind of went on to the next one and went on to the next one. And then I was still helping people. Now I'm geographic farming. You know, I have a farm. My sphere of influence is now getting dripped on um, purposefully. And uh, then I was just finding and acquiring assets on my own and then renovating them and then putting them back on the market and then selling them. And then uh, in about 2007, uh, a gentleman in my office, Neil Thompson, has said, hey, Scott, look at this. I'm looking at the tax rules, and these guys bought this house for 200000 and it's, my clients missed out on it, but it's on the market for three sixty for, you know, I can't remember the time frame, for like 60 days later. How are they doing this? And we were looking at it, then we called our title rep, and then they are explaining, it looks like they're buying this at trustee sale. And so Neil said, I'm going to research this and let me see if I can add some color to this. A couple of weeks had gone by and Neil comes back and says, hey, I figured it out. I've been hanging out there every morning and I'm seeing who the players are. And it's, very, it's a very tight-lipped community. It's like the good old boys, cowboys, where they just don't really tell you much. But there was a gentleman there who taught a class on the weekends on how this looks, who the players are. And he, Neil had took that class and encouraged me to take it. After that, we started to go together and just kind of create our own dry runs. We would identify opportunities from the reports, and we'd select the ones that we wanted to uh, kind of uh, model out, uh, perform out. And then, you know, we'd find what our acquisition cost would be. We would do an actual drive-by to come up with a preliminary budget. And then we knew what our ARV would be after renovation value would be. And so we said, okay, for this property, it's going to auction. If it goes out today, it's scheduled to go. Opening bid is say whatever, three hundred thousand. We knew that we were going to pay no more than three sixty, because we figured we needed fifty thousand in renovation, and we knew our out was going to be at whatever. So then we would have our numbers, and then when they'd go to auction, we'd get excited, we'd listen in, and the properties were closing exactly where we our numbers were aligning with. So we felt like we we're on we're on the right track. Now we need to go raise some capital. So we went to our portfolio, our clients, our past clients. We started calling all our investor clients and hey, explaining it. And one of Neil's past clients works for a heavy money manager in Newport Beach and said, hey, let me, we've got some capital on the sidelines. Let me present this to my boss and uh, got us a face-to-face. -face. It was a six-month process because we had to form an entity, get all of the, the structure, and uh, they gave us a million bucks to start with. And that million went from one million to two million to four million to eight million, and then we were going to go gangbuster to sixteen million, and then fast forward till about two thousand and eleven, 
there was a lot of Asia and European money coming in and they were acquiring these assets for what our exit strategy, what our ARV was going to be. And we were thinking, they are going to take a bath. And they did. But their pockets were so deep that they could weather the storm and learn from it. That space got too tight for us. We ventured out. We started to align with short sale agents and REO agents in SoCal. And so we started to work through that channel afterwards. Wow, that's fantastic. So you've got uh, multiple directions of your business. Thank you for walking us down the investment side. Let's go back to the brokerage side. Uh, in, in you, you told us about how you got started. Appreciate that. But let's fast forward to today. Let's talk about sure. what the business looks like today. Um, I'm going to do this. Uh, let's go through a quick speed round to get people okay. kind of a, a big picture fast. So first of all, what's the name of the team? The name of my real estate team is Cotto Group. The Cotto Group. Cool. Yeah. And what is the service area? We're primarily in Southern California, specifically Long Beach, California, Seal Beach, Huntington Beach. But we do have clients that go down to down south from San Clemente and as far north as Pasadena, West LA, and then up the 605 corridor. But, our, but our, the core of our business, our friends and family, Seal Beach and Long Beach, California. Very, very good. And so how long have you been licensed now? You said 2003, so about 17 years? Yep. Yep, got licensed, officially passed the test in September 2002, went into action January 1st, 2003. Uh, very good. And uh, how many homes did you sell last year and what was the sales volume? Last year, we sold roughly 75 homes, just shy of 40 million. Um, but I, I do want to note, though, that I am a student of the Millionaire Real Estate Agent, the book from Keller Williams, Gary Keller. And uh, I have removed myself from the business. So in the last three years, I haven't personally sold or bought or helped a client, I should say, and leveraging the systems and models and hiring, attracting talented people. They run the business for me. Oh, very cool. So you've achieved the seventh level. That's correct. Yeah. Very nice. And what was the, uh, the GCI last year? Uh, gross commission. I want to say we were at 750. 750. Very nice. All running without you there. That's pretty cool. Uh, could you tell us, so oh, let's tell me what's your average sales price. I, I, let me tell you what I did. I crunched the numbers backwards. I got 533, 533,000. Sound about right? Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. And um, do you recall last year when the business, what percentage of the business was coming from the buyers versus the sellers? You know, as of late, we've been buyer heavy. We have, uh, which is a thing that we've been focusing on to transition to capture our fair share of listings again. Um, but last year we were about sixty-five thirty-five. Very good, thank you. And what was your best year? What year was that? And then what were the units sold, sales volume, GCI? Uh, Two thousand thirteen, fourteen. We had a good run of over a hundred units. So the best year we've had is one hundred and twenty units at fifty million in sales. 1.2 million in GCI. That was probably 2012. 2013 was right behind it. I think everything was healthy. Uh, and if you remember, those were the times when things were bad, actually, for most agents. But what we figured out was that trustee sale was around the 2008-9 terms. So when most people were exiting the business, we really took off. Um, and then uh, things kind of settled down around 2014-15. Do you know how many homes you've sold in your career? 
I would for sure over a thousand. Um, uh, after that, I'm not sure. It's under fifteen hundred for sure. So I'm somewhere in there. Uh, very good. Ten thousand to fifteen hundred. Uh, now the team, the way it is today, you said you've been out of production for about three years. But the team, the way it is today, how many members are there? In fact, let's just do this. Could you just give us a, a structure of the team, like who's on the 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 uh, titles on the sure. team, what they're responsible for, how many people in that position? Okay. So W2-wise, we have Monica who runs as our director of operations. And Monica basically does 80% of the heavy lifting. Everything that is non-money producing activities falls on her plate. Um, she has some leverage. She has a virtual assistant for herself um, who assists her. And then we have a transaction coordinator. And then we have Jessica, who's our director of sales. And then we have three agents on our team. Very good. And the agents, they can uh, work with buyers and sellers? Yeah, they can. They can. Um, which is just a quick story. We would follow the model and they would earn the right to list homes, but they always started out as, as a buyer's agent. But what happened was... Um, I had this young guy on my team who absolutely crushed it. We had a ISA inside sales agent who was scrubbing the opportunities, all the Zillow leads. We were a big player back in the day, maybe 10,000 a month. We'd scrub them all and then hand them back to our agents. And this gentleman um, closed 34 transactions one year, 37 transactions the next year. And what I should have done, which I've learned, is I should have opened the doors to allow him to start to list homes because he wanted to grow his business and I didn't recognize that. And so a little too late when he said he wanted more, he wanted to go do his own thing. I tried to hurry up and pivot, hire a buy, a showing assistant for him and start geographic farming with his face under the Cotto group. But it was just a little too late. He tried it for a couple of weeks and he just said, you know, I just really want to do this on my own. And so he left. And after that moment, I figured, you know what, we can't, we cannot hold people back. They got to be able to grow and evolve to the level that they want to go to. And as long as we have the platform, let them go for it. So yes, today agents can buy and sell straight out of the gates. One of the things that people ask all the time when they're thinking about putting together a team, uh, or even if they already have a team, is they, they get a little hung up on the compensation program for the agents. Could you tell us what you've come to? What works for you? 50-50 down the middle for the most part. That way there's, so it's their sphere of influence or if it's a team lead, it's the same. I will say though, on a team lead, they do take, um, on Zillow internet leads, they get 40%. And the reason for that is, is because the director of sale gets a 10% override for assisting and helping them. So that way I don't have to do it. And the company, I've realized over time, can never take less than 50%. It just doesn't model out for me. Very good. And that's good. So you've run numbers and you know that, that the max you can pay is 50%, at, no matter what the source of the lead is. And so that's just where you went. That's right. I've you done clean. That's right. I've done some where there's a rock star agent. I wanted them in my world, I attracted them over. On his SOI, he said, I need 75%. And, he, and I was getting 25 after the office expenses, cost of sale, 
admin support, marketing support. I was literally running at maybe 3% margin on his SOI. And he was farming out all of my team leads to the other junior agents who aren't necessarily have the skill set to convert yet. So it was a very slippery slope where he was focusing on his SOI, leveraging my whole operation, people. And then uh, the, the stuff where I got a higher split, he was giving it out and they weren't converting. And then I, I had to time that out and said, hey, man, I love you. But I made a mistake on the arrangement and I can't unwind it. I get it. It's just not working out for me, though. If you want to change it, you can change it. If you want to go, I understand that as well. And what ended up happening? He ended up, well, he actually became a, a, a team leader for another office, for Keller Williams' office. Sure. So because you had overcompensated, it, it never worked out. You never made any money, and he didn't stay with the team. That's right. Right. And that's a good lesson. That's yeah. a good lesson. Um, thank you for sharing that one. Uh, let's do this, uh, Scott. Let's talk about uh, marketing and lead generation, how you're getting business in. Uh, my understanding is that uh, last year you had about 80% repeat and referrals um, mm -hmm. from your past clients, sphere of influence, uh, business coming in and back through. So let's talk about how you're doing that. First of all, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? We market to our core database of about 350 people every single month. Um, now outside leads, cause again, we were accumulating a lot of cold leads via Zillow and realtor.com over the years. And that database is over 10,000, just, just north of 10,000. This is good. Um, so you have a, you called it a core database of 350 and then you've got the generic database that got huge with all kinds of leads from wherever. Let's right. talk about the core. Who is in the core and how did you establish that? How, how do people get into the core or get thrown out of the core? What's the core? So it's our friends and family and past clients, people who know us, like us, and trust us. And now we're adding and making sure that we have all of our agents, friends, families, people who know them, like them, and trust them. We're actually bringing their – we have like a handful of their people. I want a minimum of 100, though into this database because we have a system leveraged it starts with brian buffini if some may know that item of value goes out at the beginning of the month via snail mail on the 15th of the month a piece goes out via email so we're touching on direct mail email and then we throw four client appreciation parties a year and it's just hammering the phones text messaging invitations to get them to show up to the parties and then in between there we sprinkle in a few pop buys it sounds like a simple plan, and we're going to break down that plan in a minute. I want to stay on that 350 for a second sure, because that's a, a smaller number than most people would mention, uh, but I love when you have a nice, small, tight group because you can really cater to them. And I guess I should ask the question first. Are you doing something different for the 350 than you are for the 10,000? Oh, absolutely. The 10,000 people aren't getting the direct mails. We're not, we're not spending money on them. They all they get are phone calls, and sometimes we'll do some stealth cold email campaigns to get some interaction or to get the low hanging fruit. But for the most part, the core is getting again everything that we just listed uh, the touches, the and so our system is uh, is a 62 touch on documented on paper. We know when the touches go out every month, who's responsible, what's the cost for it. Uh, what's the message? And it's on our marketing calendar. I want to come back to that 62 touch 
but I don't want to leave the 350 yet. The okay. 350, is that responsible for the 80% of the closings? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. yeah, that's where all the business is coming out. And so basically, if I'm doing my math right, 350 people are resulting in 60 closings. That's about right. That's pretty well, impressive yeah. if people start to do the math because that's basically one in 20 is on your list is resulting in a closing. I think I did that right. Actually, it's even better than that. It's one in five. One in five. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. Uh, so one in five is resulting in a closing uh, either because they repeated or referred. And now the reason that that's happening is the 62 touch, right? So now let's dig in a little deeper to the 62. You mentioned that you do a mailing piece at the beginning of the month. Right. First, you do an email on the 15th, and then you also have four events throughout the year that you're probably making multiple contacts on. I'm not getting up to 62, though. How does the, how do the 62 happen? Help us out. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Well, because there's a lot of conversations of, uh, hey, did you receive the invitation? Or, hey, save the date. Don't forget our annual um, Harkins Movie Theater party is coming up March 27th. This year, we're going to feature The Avenger. Be on the lookout for the invitation. Fast forward 10 days later. Hey, Mike, it's Scott. Just wanted to check in. Did you get our invitation? Uh, I'm really excited to see you and the family. In fact, can I just RSVP you now since I got you on the phone? And that way you don't have to send anything back in the email and Monica will stop bugging you. And then if they say, yeah, 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 then terrific. Or if they say, oh, let me check with the wife or whatever the case might be. And again, just send the invite back, the RSVP, email us. Um, And then once they say yes, then it's, while everyone will say yes, getting them to show up is a lot different because life happens, events happen, family. And so we've realized in that last 10 day push leading up to the event, it's almost every single day, either a text, email, or phone call goes out to make sure that we stay top of mind. We understand that once they get there, they're going to enjoy it. They're going to have a blast, but they also go, Oh, something came up or they're tired. You know what? Scott's not going to miss us. That's okay. But when you're sponsoring angel, Dodger baseball games and they RSVP for four tickets, that's over a hundred, you know, that's 120 something dollars per family. So we need them to come. Otherwise we have all these goodie bags and empty seats. And uh, so, yeah, we got to drive it home and make sure that they come to the event. That's how those, that's how all those touches. I mean, actually Monica and I were talking about this the other day because we were on a panel. It's actually a, about a hundred touch. I mean, after all of the calls and text messages, but we don't count those ones necessarily. Very good. So uh, let's talk about the events. You're, you're into the idea of the uh, invitation and getting them there. How many invitations do you send out and in what form for each event? Um, you know, I can say our last ones have been more about uh, digital invitations, Eventbrite. Um, we, we have done though, um, cards, you know, formal invitations too. I think it just depends truthfully on what the event is and the timing on it. Um, and then 
Yep. I'm sorry. How far before the event do you start uh, inviting them? And how many invitations go out before they mm. say yay or nay? Gosh, I should have Monica on this call. I would say we're at least giving the save the date for our big events 60 days in advance. And then the invitations themselves are going out at probably five weeks before the actual date. Because again, a lot of the prep work, we need to have the RSVPs at least three weeks before the event so we can secure the seats, the theater, whatever the case might be, and start working on the goodie bags and the takeaway items. Scott, this is, this is really cool. Uh, thank you for walking us through that. So there are quite a few invitations. You're starting at least 60 days out on some of these mm -hmm. events. Tell us what are the events that you're doing throughout the year? You said you're doing four of them. What events are you doing? What's worked the best? Um, the first quarter is generally a movie theater because the blockbuster movies usually come out in March. We've been doing that for a while. Um, summertime, we'll do, we've done a beach party. Um, we have either like a food truck or it's catered. Um, the third quarter, we do Monday night football at a local pub. We reserve the second story. Um, and, uh, you know, we have just appetizers and drink tickets. Um, and then our quarterly party, it's usually the pie party. And we've been doing that for six years at least. Uh, but this last year we transitioned and we actually had it at my partner's house, Jessica, and uh, we had a professional photographer who was a past client, and he would take photos of the kids, and then they would receive digital copies at the end of November so that they could buy their Christmas cards or holiday cards to send out to their friends and family. And then nice. after each event, we would give them like a show them a token appreciation. So for that instance, what we did is we would take one of their pictures and we put them in these uh, nice frames. And then the agents on the team would take their sphere of influences, their clients' frames, and then they would do pop buys and drop them off at the house to thank them for joining us and being a part of it and supporting our growth. And then that's where you really just say, hey, if you know of anyone who's ever thinking to buy a sell, you know, I'd appreciate you. Um, we'd appreciate the opportunity to earn their business. And that's where we kind of just ask for it or remind them that we'd love to work with their friends and family. For these events, uh, how many people typically show up and what is the, the cost, the total cost or cost per person? So the movie theaters, you know, depending, the smallest theater that we can capture is 92 seats. Um, and so, again, we'll invite as many as we need to to fill it up. Um, that movie theater with all in is just south of $3,000 to get the theater. And then, but we, we get... We bring food in. So breakfast, the movies generally start Sunday at 11 a.m. We have the entire theater to ourselves. We'll set up tables out front, we'll give them their goodie bags. Inside the goodie bags, they've got their full red vine, sour patch kids, depending how many kids. You know, so it's all done purposefully. And then we get these popcorn and drink tickets so the kids can go and get their own popcorn and drink on their own. And then when they walk in, we have a little stand-up one-up where we take a picture of the family in front of the sign. They go sit wherever they want. And at the very front of the, of the theater, between the aisle, we have a pile of breakfast burritos, you know, um, all different kinds with the salsa and coffee for the parents. And then the kids can grab additional drinks or waters in the coolers. And then they find their seat. And then I get on the mic to thank them for joining us. 
And then we give away generally Clipper tickets, Laker tickets, and Los Angeles King tickets. And if there's a concert in the town and I had bought some tickets on that, then we'll, we gave out Drake tickets in the past, um, then we'll do that too. And then we watch the movie and they go on their way. We don't stop them. We don't try to, hey, wait, you know, we don't ask for business. We don't, you know, we don't talk business at all. It's just really creating an experience and creating a lifelong client, again, to earn the right to their friends and family. I, I know that go to source. I noticed you keep saying tickets, so that must be a big thing for you that you get all these tickets to all these sport events and other events, uh, and and you like to hand those out. Yeah, yeah, that's when we when they know that now. Every event they know we're giving away Laker Clippers or Kings tickets for sure. And and the reason is is because the reciprocity, right? You're giving them something, they'll give you something back. Plus. You get to invite. You get to offer these tickets to ten people, and only one accepts. So you get to go out and touch ten people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, so we've got events. You've got the movie uh, event. Um, tell us uh, the cost of some of the other events. Like when you go to the uh, beach, how many people show up? What's the cost? Um, the beach party is probably one of the cheaper ones. It's more labor intensive logging all the pop-up tents tables, you know, it's very time consuming for us, um, which is probably why we haven't done it as of late. Cause, uh, but, um, you know, they're all generally around the same price point. I would say our biggest one is typically our fourth quarter pie party. Cause it's at a country club, a golf course. And we reserve, reserve a room. Um, and we'll, you know, I think the most we've had is about 125 people come through and that's usually about 90 pies you know from costco the big pumpkin pies we literally they put them on a pallet for us we've got it so dialed in that we call in early they don't put those big barcode stickers on them because we used to spend hours peeling those off and then we mess up the solophane so now we call in and we've learned that you can they won't put those stickers on them and they'll put them off to the side um and then we just line up and decorate uh, this room at the golf course. Again, we have professional photographer, coloring contest for the kids, hot cocoa stand for the kids, uh, past hors d'oeuvres. And then uh, there's a little bit of outdoor, so the sliding doors open up to the golf course, but there's a uh, fenced off area where the kids can run around in the grass. So it's a lot of fun. And that one will cost, it's, that one's a little bit more expensive, but I would say just shy of $3,500, $4,000. But here's the thing, though. Our preferred lender is the member at the country club. I am not. And he reserves it for us the, um, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving every single year. It's like clockwork now. That's great. So I'm, what I'm hearing is that basically you're spending on average around 3000 a little more, a little bit less per event. You're getting about 100 people there each time. Uh, and you're doing it four times a year, so it's about $12,000 in total cost, but it's bringing in a ton of business because of all these contacts, 80% uh, of your business, so on 750, was that about 600,000 in GCI off a $12,000 investment? Now, of course, you have a few other things that you're doing, but it seems like a pretty good ROI. Yeah, I, I, you know, our coach helped us identify this actually, where they broke it down, Monica, Jessica, and my coach, their coach. And, uh, you know, we're looking at the Zillow leads and how the Zillow, the internet world is really the, 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 the leads are getting so expensive now and it keeps going up. And so we're spending anywhere from 75 to 125 per lead. 
And we realized doing the numbers, we're like at a three to one ratio where we used to be seven, eight to one. Then we did the numbers on our SOI and we're tracking somewhere around 35 to one. So every dollar we give in Zillow, we're only getting three back. Working our client appreciation price for every dollar we invest, we're getting 35 back. And so my, my, our coach said, you guys need to start casting a larger net and inviting more people to these events. You need to start succeeding more through others, not chasing these cold people who aren't committed to us, who don't know us, who don't necessarily care for us, like us, trust us. You know, that's earned over time, but the, you know, which is fine. It's obviously a longer tail game. Absolutely. Uh, this is great. Um, thank you for walking us through your 62 touch program. It sounds like it's working very well. Uh, what kind of database do you use to track all these people? What kind of yeah. software? Great question. So right now we were big time boomtown clients for a number of years and then we transitioned over to Firepoint to save a few bucks. Uh, so we've been Firepoint for the last 18 months. Um, Everyone lives in Firepoint right now because as we know, agents are not detailed. We do not update the address book. We do not update their email addresses when it bounces back. It's very messy. And so agents have access to their own account within Firepoint. However, when they become a client, they go into Referral Maker Pro, which is Brian Buffini's system. And only Monica has access to that CRM system. I don't even have the password. Because it's good data in, good data out. So that's our, what we call the data bank. That's our gold mine. She's the only, she's the gatekeeper. And all of our addresses, emails, contacts, birthdays, anniversaries, everything is in there and it can't be muddied up. So we're leveraging two. Now, I just as a full disclosure, being Keller Williams agent, we are taking everything from Firepoint and we're transitioning it as we speak. We're running parallel and we're loading it all into command. Okay, command is a, a, a specific program for Keller Williams. It's, yeah, the proprietary CRM system that Gary's been working on for the last four years, invested over a billion dollars into it. Artificial intelligence, game changer. Um, oh, well, we can't, we'll have to touch base and see if it works well for you in a year or yeah. two, see how that this thing plays Absolutely. out. Um, I want to ask one other question. Do you ask... Do you ask specifically for referrals from your folks? And if so, when and how? Um, absolutely. Every time we do a pop-by, uh, most definitely. Um, generally, during the buyer consultation, if it's a brand new client who we're trying to earn the right to their business, you know, it's part of our value proposition that we're looking for clients for life. You know, we, we, we understand that you have choices and it's our goal to exceed your expectations because at the end of our time together, I'm going to ask you for a five-star review for you to share with others to help us because that's how you found us. And so we're, we would love it if you would help support us and share your experience. And then in addition to that, uh, we would love to earn the right to your friends and family. And if we fail, fall short on any, any of those areas, you're not going to refer us to your friends and family. So we want to make it right. So that's kind of a value proposition of we're setting the expectations. So that way they don't pigeonhole us in a corner about, oh, all these agents are the same. They just want the commission. That's not true. We really are in the relationship business. And I think that's what keeps experience or agents to continually grow is, uh, and staying in business is having a database. 
you know, if you don't hone in on that database, I feel it's like you're still an independent contractor just chasing the deals. It's not predictable and it's not scalable. You don't know where the deal, but when you create the system and you know your numbers, you can start modeling out how much, if I want to do this much, here's how many more people we need to add to the database in order to achieve that. And you can start kind of um, forecasting what the business is going to look like. Scott, you have now created this seventh level team that doesn't need you to be there every day for the last three years, although it continues to operate. And you continue to understand what's going on in there. Uh, but this has freed up a lot of time for you. Uh, some people would hear that and they think, well, Scott's going to go to the beach and just hang out on the beach and drink margaritas all day. But my God, I'm under the impression that you've done other things with this free time. Could you tell us some of the other things you're doing in the real estate space? Sure, sure. Um, so I am a partner in our Long Beach Keller Williams office. Um, that market center is number one in the state of California with regards to profitability. We're up to 375 agents. Um, we profit shared 700,000 with our agents. Uh, we spun off, opened up another market center in the city of Cerritos. Um, when my partner was over there, he had brought that office to number four in the state of California with regards to profitability. You know, I always share that not to impress anyone, just impress upon the fact that our leadership team focuses on the P&L, you know, uh, profit first. Uh, then uh, now we uh, spun off and then we opened up another office just a mile and a half away from Cerritos in La Mirada. And I've been hanging my hat there for the last 13 months. And we're up to 130 agents. And so my primary focus is the CEO of the company is to attract like-minded talent and continue to create value for our agents. And then I coach our top agents. Um, so that's kind of, I love the coaching aspect because that's why I'm still in it. I know exactly what's happening on in the market. I'm heavily involved, even though I may not be writing the contracts now or reviewing disclosures. All of my conversations are about day-to-day -day events or struggles or challenges that our agents are having and then walking them through or helping them or asking questions and coaching them through the process. Um, then I also launched a, uh, you know, some, I, some things on the horizon are coaching. You know, since I coach about 20 agents now, um, I'm going to take the path to become a MAPS, Keller Williams MAPS coach, and then I'll do my own. Either I'll align with MAPS or I'll decide to just go off on my own. Uh, I have a virtual assistant business based in the Philippines. You know, it's really more or less friends and family. I've seen how that's benefited our business, my business. We have VAs for my market center, for my own personal team, and I have a VA for my coaching company. So I've got these people working behind the scenes, and it's, it, 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 the output of, for the cost is I want to just share it with everyone. And so slowly we started, hey, I heard you got your VAs. How's that working out? And then we started referring all these people and we were like, well, maybe we should kind of max, you know, create opportunity for us. And so now, you know, we only have about 10 clients, but we're starting to grow and it's just based on friends and family or agents in my market center who want to add leverage to their business and we'll find them a VA. For an agent listening, how much does a virtual assistant typically cost? On average, like our competition, you're going to find for a full-time admin or outside, outside or inside agent around $1,800 a month. We are around $1,100 a month, though, because I'm not doing marketing. I'm not pushing this out to the masses. 
it's just again word of mouth so my i don't have overhead i don't have you know marketing budget and uh so we run lean and mean and there's a little bit of profit for us that makes makes it make sense for us to do this but again it's really just offering it to my agents as another value proposition to them and the 1100 a month that's a full-time position it's a full-time so that's somebody who's earning about $250 a week, about $50 a day, eight hours a day. About, so it's about six bucks, seven bucks an hour. Pretty good. That sound about right? Yeah, yeah it's, I think it's about, yes, yes, that's the all in. But then there's the, if you cut it down to what we actually pay the VA, their hourly is a little bit less, obviously, um, in order for us to have a few bucks. You got to have some over. management and put the whole thing together and keep controls in place That's and so right. forth. But I was just wondering for the end user, if they could get an idea how much it's going to cost. So can they, uh, get a virtual assistant that works hourly or do they have to buy the whole month? They have to buy it. It's one, we don't do part-time. We tried to offer it, but then one person wants to hire them full-time after they see the value behind it. But then that agent is where, or that VA is working with two. You can't necessarily take them away. So it got too confusing trying to pair people up on a part-time basis. So it's like full-time work, $1,100, locked and loaded, 40 hours a week, no hourly, no package deals for 10 hours a month or anything like that. Again, we're trying to keep it simple. And is the VA trained in real estate tasks? Do they already know what to do? Or does the person who hires them have to train them? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do target uh, college graduates. They have a degree and they have real estate experience in some capacity. Now, what we do is we send out a questionnaire based on what are your needs, what, do, what pieces of technology, Mike, are you using, and uh, walk us through what does that look like, and then we are trying to attract that person. If they have some capacity or experience in that field, but not 100%, you, know, you get to interview them and see how you, you get a disc, a behavioral assessment, and a resume, so you can ask questions, you can role play with them to see how you like it. And then if you say, you know what, they're pretty good, it would be great if they knew exactly how to leverage Mojo and upload and we can take that on and we can train them in those fields. So there is like a four to five day training period where we will learn their CRM system if we don't, because they all work very similar to each other. You know, whether using lines, desk, FirePoint, Boomtown, follow-up boss. Now, if I understand correctly, you have to help me out. Uh, I believe you said the Philippines, which I think is a U.S. territory, and they'll speak English uh, pretty well. Is that all correct? That's correct. Okay, yep. good. So these these folks, you're not going to have a, a language barrier uh, or, or even a, an understanding of gen general concepts. Um, they're all in the same tune as people in, a, in the U.S. Yep, that's right. I mean, people will tell you they, they those that are you know some will say, oh, don't they have an accent though? And, you know, that's the story they're telling themselves of preventing them to move forward. Sure, some of them do have accents, but the reality is, is they can convert too, though. They're scripted, just like you and I are. And, sure. and what's interesting is, is they have a full seven, eight hours to do it. They're, that's their one thing. We do it when we can, you know, when we have time. And we can find plenty of excuses not to make those calls, to sabotage ourselves, to do other busy work, but it's not necessarily... Well, that's interesting. So what kind of tasks do you have these folks do? You said make phone calls, uh, do paperwork. I, I, mine do everything. They do it all. I mean, 
anything that's not required by a license, right? So they that's can't correct. negotiate a contract or no, right, virtually right. show a property, I guess. So. Social media, database entry, maintaining client appreciation parties, invitations, all the labor intensive things that are very time consuming that most people don't like to do or we tell ourselves we don't have the time to do. So whatever you don't like to do and it makes your skin crawl, you should leverage that if you can. Just get it off your plate. Scott, where, if somebody wanted to learn more about your virtual assistant company, where would they go? Appreciate that. It's Virtue Leverage, B-I-R-T-U, Leverage, VirtueLeverage.com. VirtueLeverage.com? Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you for walking us through that. Uh, well, Scott, we've heard about your, your current business, this seventh level business, and people are going to ask the question, are you profitable? Yeah, we are. We're running about a 25% profitability margin. Um, again, there are ways that we could probably fine tune it, but um, speaking with other uh, leaders, depending on the size of your team, you know, if I came back into production, my profit margin would go up, right? Because right now I've got to get a piece of everything to somebody. So everyone's hands are in it, which is fine though, because you can't have both. You can't have a, you know, you can't have your time back and still all of the money. So you got it. You're buying, I'm buying my time back. So my splits with, with uh, Jessica who take the listings down, you know, for my sphere of influence, we have an arrangement, a split. And if I, you know, if we, as we scale to grow, if we have a marketing person or another, another W2 employee, the profit margins get smaller. You know, if we want a listing coordinator, yeah, we could get it. Just in, you know, the margins are going to shrink even more, which means your cut's getting a little bit squeezed too. So we try to hold them accountable and run lean and mean, but um, we are at a 25%. That's pretty good with a, a seventh level business where you're stepping out of production. Um, you mentioned that uh, you have one of the folks on your team take the listings and it's at a, a different rate. What are you paying out on uh, listings? Well, if it's my SOI, I just do a 70-30 split with her. Okay, so 30 to her, 70 to, to the core business, to the team? To the company, that's yeah, right. The company. Okay, it, that makes sense. It's, it's probably a little healthy, which is, you know, it, it, I think when you pencil it out, ideally it would be a salaried 70000 75000 salary plus maybe 10%. But I'm not going to unwind it because it works for me. And as long as she's happy too, um, I'm not saying I'm overpaying her either. You know, I'm just saying if I reflect back to the model, that one I kind of did my own and it's worked over the years. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Scott, what drives you? Wow. Opportunity. I love creating things. I love connecting people. I love, I love to see people succeed. Um, you know, that's what's keeping me in my current role of why build this office? Why build a new, a new Keller Williams office? Um, and it, it always comes back down to the people. I love being around the same like-minded people. And when you put people like that together in the same room, you know, uh, my mentors, it's a, that's a direct result. Number one in profitability in the state of California, my Long Beach office. Josh Bitson in Cerritos, number four. I mean, that... And that means that it's the agents. The, all they did was put people together. It's the people that created the opportunity for all of us. And so it's just driving the culture and uh, just creating a winning attitude and a winning team. I think uh, 
the people around me, we get fired up around that stuff. We truly want to see each other win. That's for sure. That's for sure. Hey, Scott, I have a quick question for you. You mentioned you're doing some coaching. Could you tell us where people would learn more about that? Yeah, it's uh, www.coachcato.com. Uh, very good. And that's K-A-T-O. That's right. Coach, K-A-T-O dot com. Uh, and they'll cool. find some added value. I shoot videos of hoping to help agents. The questions that I see that are coming up over and over, I'll answer those for you guys. And if there's a video that you'd like me to cover, I can certainly do that too. Very good. Uh, well, Scott, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Get your database together. Get an Excel spreadsheet. Get a minimum of 100 people. Full name, address, phone number, and email. Get them into your CRM system. Start making your calls. Start setting up your drip campaigns. Got to take market share, top of mind, from the people who know you, like you, and trust you already. Very good. Well, well, Scott, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? It's all mindset, right? Everything we do, whether it's specifically as an entrepreneur, um, if the mind's not in the right place, the actions are not going to follow. So sit down, think about exactly what is it that you want? Why real estate? What's that going to do for you? Most people say, well, it's because of the money or it's the autonomy to come and go as I please, which are all true. And if you don't show up and you don't put the work in, then there is no money and you will go back to getting a W-2 job. So just sit down, get a piece of paper, clear your mind and just figure out and figure out what is your big why? What's going to motivate you to roll out of bed every day for the next six, eight, nine months, however long it takes you to grind and make those calls and find someone who wants to either buy or sell a house. And it all starts with the mind. Got to start with the mindset and then go to your big why. Very good. Well, Scott, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming in and talking with us today. Thanks, Mike. Uh, thank you, Scott. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us on Success Calls. Keep moving forward. Bye. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.